Tony. Good afternoon, Canada. Welcome to a full episode of Canadian Common Sense. Today's date is April 14, 2021, and it's Tony here in Saskatchewan. And I'm back, baby. It's Lewis in BC. <laughs> How are you, my man? Well, you're going to find out because, <laughs> because <laughs> there's a lot for me to get riled up about this week. And it's been a few weeks. Uh, well, yeah, it's been probably almost a month since I was last on a full episode. So uh, I got lots to say. <laughs> Excellent. Well, always good to hear your voice. I'm sure Canada is happy to have you back as well. So uh, on a positive note, I finally had my first staycation last night. I'm on holidays this week and have nowhere to go. And I used to mock the word staycation until my wife and I went, booked a hotel here in the beautiful Bridge City and spent the night looking at the view of the beautiful South Saskatchewan River and University of Saskatchewan, right across the river from us. It was uh, an excellent way to, to spend some time off. Excellent. So I guess I'm all in for staycations now because that was actually a really good time. I'm uh, I'm actually quite happily surprised. We were treated very, very well, and it was uh, something I never thought I would do. So, well, that's great. Yeah. So on to the not so great. <laughs> <laughs> On the show tonight, a quick COVID update and Justin Trudeau's latest thoughts on COVID. The Liberals and NDP both held policy conventions this past weekend. And a little bit of talk about the CFL being back in the news. So where do you want to start, sir? Oh, let's talk about the fun stuff. Let's talk about football. I love football. Lewis and I are big fans of the TFL. So you actually pointed me onto the story first and doing a little bit more research. It sounds like a merger between the CFL and the XFL is very likely to happen. Yeah. And I don't think the CFL could possibly make a worse move. Um. The XFL has gone bankrupt twice. Uh, Once after the first season, and then once halfway through the second season. Yeah, and bear in mind, this this is two different incarnations of the XFL. About, what, two decades apart almost? Uh, I think it's, yeah maybe a decade or so apart. Um, The first iteration was created. I mean, the XFL was created by um, Vince McMahon um, of the WWE world wrestling entertainment. Uh, The, the problem, the problem was actually, you know what? It might be longer than that because uh, I know some of the players from the original XFL, played full careers in the CFL afterwards. So, yeah, you're probably right. It's probably closer to uh, a decade and a half to two decades. Um, But that first iteration, I mean, like, as Vince McMahon called it, it was smash mouth football and uh, whatever the hell that means. Um, (laughs) Because all football is smash mouth or whatever you want to call it. It's rough. It's, it's, It's war on grass. And uh, he brought in some weird things like uh, you could put whatever words you wanted on the back of your jersey. You could, it, the, the coin toss was eliminated and it was two guys sprinting to center field and whoever got the, the football that was at center field, they got to decide whether they kicked off or not. But you ended up with really horrible collisions at center field um, <laughs> where one player actually, I believe one player actually got injured so bad he was out for the season. Um, and that was on the first first game of the game of the season. Um, there's, it's it was kind of ridiculous. You know I mean, it was football, but it was WWE, and at the time, I believe it was WWF, uh, WWF styled football, right? It was it was a little nuts and a little crazy, and and uh, and it and it went bankrupt after the first season. Uh, the second iteration was uh, 2009 or no 2020. 
and I think they got through just a handful of games before COVID hit and boom, went bankrupt again. And now uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson uh, has, along with a, an investor group, bought the XFL. And before they've even played a single game, the CFL is already in merger talks with them. And it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to me unless what you're going to do is create a uh, more of an affiliation rather than a merger. The CFL is the CFL. It is a... It, I, I, to be quite honest, I'm not sure exactly how old the CFL is, but it is at least 80 years old. Um, the Grey Cup Championship is, uh, is almost, what, 110 years old almost now. It's, we've got the oldest trophy in sports. We have a unique brand of football that no one else in the world plays that, quite honestly, is exciting because it's three downs. The field is bigger. There's more guys on the field. It's an air game rather than a running game, It's which makes it more exciting. It's we may not have the best athletes on the planet. I mean, they may be, you know, I mean, we do have some great athletes. Trust me. There are some, the CFL has some great athletes and, uh, and they've gone and some, a lot of them have gone on to the NFL and competed at the, uh, among the best. I mean, Cameron Wake, Doug Flutie, um, I mean, there's Warren Moon, uh, oh, uh, Danny Garcia. Um, I mean, there's just so many, right? I mean, we've got, there's a long history of CFL players that have actually played in the NFL and excelled in the NFL. So to say we don't have talented players is, is just people who have an inferiority complex to the American style of football. For me, the NFL, you're never going to compete with the NFL. So you've got to compete for the fans' attention when the NFL isn't on. Um, and the thing with the CFL is that we, we present a different game. So to me, this merger uh, slash affiliation really only makes sense if the XFL takes on CFL rules and the XFL and CFL play in their own respective countries and after the Great Cup and after the XFL championship, they play like a World Series championship, like kind of like in baseball with the uh, American League and the, and the National League. Yeah, see, I think that would work. And it was funny you talked about some of the past XFL rules. I remember the one player very specifically because I remember I did grow up in the Edmonton area. Um, the player who was had he hate me on his jersey actually came and played a very you know uh, as you say quite a, a long career with the Edmonton Eskimos. So <laughs> that's right, and that was actually yeah. the player I was. That's actually the player I, I was thinking of when I said that uh, that. And I, that XFL players came up here and played a full career in the CFL. And he, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's exactly who I was thinking of. <laughs> oh, right on. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but I mean, that, to me, that's the only way this makes any sense at all. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I've, I've read quite a few different articles about it now that uh, after you brought this to my attention and there was actually a couple of different sports reporters who agree with you 100% that we need to keep this as a three down game. And I think that's a no brainer because what we need to do is offer an alternative product to the NFL, which is what we do. And so I've some of the articles I've read and just my own thinking is if we did keep the CFL rules and then even just move the season ahead so that we were to start late April, early May, 
And then we are actually exactly in the time frame where the NFL is not playing. And I think that would be a great way to capitalize on, on that viewing audience. And I think that's what it's all about because I was reading that it said that Ed Bell that owns, I believe it's a 37% stake in MLSE, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. And then also Rogers, I believe it is. The, the Rogers that owns Sportsnet, correct? Yes. Okay, so they also own a 37% stake in MLSE. So I start to understand now why it is that Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment is so eager to make this merger happen because it's all about the broadcast. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I, I've always said I'd like actually for the CFL to start a little earlier um, because you and I have been to Grey Cup games together several times and it's really cold. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's really cold. Like we've, you and I have been to uh, Grey Cup games in Edmonton, Calgary, uh, we've been, to, I mean, we, you and I've been to how many, how many great cup games in Edmonton? I think I've been to three. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Three Calgary once I've been to great cup in Vancouver a couple of times. Um, we were supposed to be in Regina last year, but COVID and this year we're supposed to be in Hamilton. So and it, it had better happen. Yeah, and it better happen, but it gets cold in those places. I mean, except Vancouver because it's indoors. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, it, I mean, I I okay. You and I were at Great Cup in was it two thousand and three in Edmonton? And, I think that was the year. Yeah, yeah, or two thousand two, two thousand no two thousand two. Yeah, it was two thousand two in Edmonton. And, That's right. Uh, and it was like. 10 below zero or 12 below zero something like that it was cold but when we were in calgary in 2019 that was that was ridiculous i mean (laughs) i was bundled up we could we were shivering so bad we were like this is this is stupid (laughs) (laughs) because calgary's McMahon Stadium. Anybody who's listening, if you've never been to McMahon Stadium to watch a football game, don't go. It is brutal. <laughs> McMahon Stadium is the worst building in the CFL. And it's, I mean, aluminum benches with no backs, except, well, sorry, your backrest are the knees of the people behind you. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and those aluminum benches are so ridiculously cold when it's 10 below zero. It's like we were wearing long johns, everything, and we were freezing. So yeah, please move the move the season up a bit, so that so that Grey Cup can be played in a reasonable temperature, and uh, and yeah, just don't sell out. And that's the biggest thing is don't sell out. Now, I think it might have been you that brought the idea up that. Perhaps this was a Hail Mary on the part of Randy Ambrosi. And maybe it's just because the CFL is almost broke. Yeah. I, You know, and here's where you and I were talking on this show uh, a number of months ago um, about, remember the advertising campaign from the late 90s called Radically Canadian? I loved it. Yeah. And I still have my shirt. It's a, on the front, it says radically Canadian. And on the back, it says our balls are bigger. And which is referencing the CFL football being bigger than the NFL football. And it was a brilliant advertising campaign. One of those, one, another shirt said longer, wider, faster, better. Uh, there was, there was so many great commercials where they were going down to the U.S., and telling them, oh, yeah, in the CFL, there's no fair catch. And they're going, oh, my God, like, do people die? And <laughs> and uh, and they were saying how, you know, presenting the different rules, how we only have uh, a 20-second play clock. And they're like, wow, that must be fast, right? And, and it was so – it was such a great advertising campaign. And then they uh, – the commissioner – at the time was fired 
And the new commissioner came in and his first thing was, there's nothing radical about the Canadian Football League. And he canceled that advertising campaign, which was the biggest mistake that the CFL could have made at that time. And I think they need to go back to something like that. Maybe not that specific uh, advertising campaign, because, you know, back in the 90s, the word radical was was like a, uh, one of the in words. But something similar to that, where they're saying, you know, like, just showcase what makes the CFL so exciting. What makes it different than the NFL? You don't compete. You don't have to compete with the NFL. You can you can get the same viewers and just as the NBA and the NHL have the same, have some of the same viewers, you could do the same thing. Absolutely. And, and, um, and there was an article that I forwarded on to you that made some really cool suggestions. Like the CFL needs to challenge the NFL to a, uh, to a exhibition match and have the championship teams play each other in Canadian rule with Canadian rules on a Canadian field. And the NFL will never send their team. But if you make that challenge every year and the NFL keeps saying, no, we're not going to do it or just ignoring you, you win. You automatically win. And if the NFL team, if the NFL finally does send a team and say, yeah, okay, here, we're sending the team. And yeah, what if they win? Big deal. You just, you just proved that your, uh, that your football league is good enough that the NFL acknowledged your, your existence. Yeah. And that was, uh, actually that, that article was, was brilliant. And I really appreciated the guy's energy and his enthusiasm and, I liked a lot of what he had to say, and I don't know if the NFL ever would send the team up. I know that it did happen, I believe, at some point in the 60s. There was one game where I think the Buffalo Bills came and played the Hamilton Tiger Cats. It might have been before the 60s. It was way back longer before you and I were ever alive at any rate. And I'd love to see that happen again. That'd be a, a great idea. And I'm actually okay with the XFL and CFL doing a merger. It actually, one article I had read, it said that there was a, a suspicion among those in the know that the name, the XFL name would not survive the merger. So it would end up, I'm assuming that means it would be still called the CFL. And I think as long as they marketed it better, exactly like what you said, this could work. It really could. Yeah, yeah it, it, it could, as long as they do it right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just don't want them to go to four-down football thinking, oh, well, nobody likes four-down football. That's not why they watch the NFL over the CFL. They watch the NFL over the CFL because that's where the money is. That's where the media focus is. It's not because they're watching, you know, it's not because of the four downs. Guarantee you if, this, if the NFL went to three-down football, they'd still have the same number of viewers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I remember when I was much, much younger, there was an NFL player strike. And so then the NFL fans ended up watching the CFL because they had no other football to watch. And you're right. They watched. It's football. Yeah, they did. <laughs> so, oh. all right. Enough about football. Uh, yep. Let's do a quick COVID update and then let's get on to the NDP and liberal policy conventions. You bet. Okay, so as of today, Canada has seen 11.5 million COVID vaccines delivered. So that's an increase of about a million from last week. So I, I guess good job. I mean, that's that's not bad. Um, the provinces are catching up now. Nine million uh, doses have been administered. Here's the numbers I don't like: 21% of Canadians have had at least one shot. Only two percent fully vaccinated. Now, let's just contrast that with our friends in the United States. 37% have had at least one shot, as opposed to our 21%. 23% of Americans have been fully vaccinated, as opposed to a pathetic 2% in Canada. Now, Justin Trudeau weighed in on this because he's been getting a lot of criticism over 
the uh, abysmal rollout of vaccines in Canada. And Lewis, what what did he say when uh, when questioned? Oh, that you know, we've been uh, that that he would not have done anything differently. That he did not mess up in any way, and that it was because of the uh, vaccine manufacturers that we didn't um, receive all our vaccines. Right, it's all somebody else's fault. Justin Trudeau, he yeah. he did his job. I have, uh, and hey, how can you argue with with that? I mean, definitely not his fault that he allowed the vaccine manufacturing to lapse in this country because he could have turned it around six years ago. Not his fault that Canada was ill-equipped with PPE because he sent 16 tons to China in February, weeks before a pandemic was declared. Not his fault because he made a deal with CanSino, which went belly up in May, and he waited until August before seeking out other sources for vaccines yeah not his fault at all absolutely right no and this is a this is a very very all too common thread with with him uh he blames everybody else for everything unless he wasn't responsible for it at which point he'll apologize but he apologized for things you know like um the treatment of whatever group of people at the hands of a, of a Canadian government a hundred years ago or, uh, or the uh, Catholic church or the British monarchy 150, 200 years ago, he'll apologize for that, but he'll never apologize for anything that he actually is responsible for. And he blames it on everyone else every single time. Yep. And uh, I'm actually impressed that, he didn't blame Harper this time. What the hell? You no, know, because he already did that once. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he, already, he already blamed Harper for, for uh, Canada not having any vaccine manufacturing capabilities. Yep. He, well, he blamed Harper. Then he even went back and blamed Brian Mulroney. So. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. That's impressive. I, I got I to gotta say, I'm impressed that he actually found a way to blame Stephen Harper, who hasn't been in office for six years and managed to skip right over uh, 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 Jean Chrétien and blamed the next uh, previous conservative prime minister, which was Brian Mulroney, which... uh, (laughs) was like the last time he was in office was like 1990. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, way unbelievable. To go it's, un- yeah. it's unbelievable, but he did it. <laughs> yeah, he did. And it, it bugs me so much how arrogant this guy is. Um, I mean, Mr. Trudeau's arrogance is quite legendary anyway, but if, even if he was to take some ownership of it and say, hey, you know what, we should have tried making some deals sooner or whatever. But instead, they continue to go on and say, oh, yes, we've got the most diverse portfolio. We have a suite of vaccines. They, we do. We've got Pfizer, Moderna. We've got AstraZeneca that a lot of people are pretty afraid of using right now, and I don't blame them. And Johnson & Johnson, whenever they decide to send some. So really, we've got Pfizer and Moderna. That is not a diverse portfolio. That is not a suite of vaccines. We're damn lucky that Pfizer is sending as many as they are because Moderna keeps shortchanging us. Yeah. No, I mean, it's exactly right. I mean, the, the, the vaccine situation in Canada is abysmal and it's embarrassing. And uh, our government should, they aren't, but they should be embarrassed about the situation in Canada with, with vaccines. It's it's absolutely brutal, and there's no excuse for it. Nope, not at all. And uh, Aaron O'Toole, I actually have to give him credit, was, is 100% correct in saying there needs to be a public inquiry into our COVID response 
once this pandemic is over. And at the rate we're going with the uh, different mutations or variants, you know, getting ahead of our vaccination schedule, who knows when Canada is going to get out of this? Well, if you if you look at the media and our liberal um, our liberal and NDP governments across the country, uh, they don't want it to end. I mean, look at the U.S., man. Like, they are opening states up down there. Las Vegas just announced that they are fully open. There are no restrictions. The UFC is hosting uh, their first event back there. And uh, I believe it's the beginning of May. And they're expected to have 20,000 people in the stands. There's... Uh, sporting events are happening in Texas and Florida and all these states down there. And ever since Texas removed their mask mandate and their restrictions, their their hospitalizations and uh, and case counts have dropped seventy five percent. Well, isn't that unreal? I, uh, yeah, and you're right. I had a good laugh when they was a, there was a Toronto Blue Jays game in Texas, which drew 40,000 fans. And, of course, yeah. the media in Canada went insane. Oh, just wait two weeks, and you'll, you'll see what a mistake that was. Who's laughing now? <laughs> yeah, no, nothing happened. Yeah. There was, nothing happened. And that's, and that's the thing, like – you really got to wonder what the hell's going on because um, you remember that, that leaked email from uh, a, a senior member of the liberal party of Canada last summer that detailed what was going to happen over the next 12 months. You have to refresh my memory on that one. Yeah. Where they said by, uh, October, you were going to see this. By December, there's going to be these new variants and right. there's going to be new lockdown measures. And come Q1, there was going to be other things happening. Uh, Q2, they were going to be uh, talking about turning uh, uh, about bringing in a, a universal basic income uh, and all this. And I laid out all these things that were going to happen over the next 12 months. And back in, I think it was July or August last year is when I first saw it. And I, and I called BS on it. I said, oh, come on, this is a hoax. This is obviously someone just playing a joke because this, it, 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 I, I just can't believe that someone would actually, like, that there, there would be such a conspiracy, right? And that, yeah. that people that people would actually be able to conspire without uh, any any of these details leaking, right? Or uh, that there's an actual conspiracy that without it leaking, without people finding out about it. But goddamn, everything, everything that that letter laid out that I saw last summer has been almost bang on all the way through the winter and this spring almost every single thing and now and we'll get to this the liberal party has adopted a new policy of uh, a universal basic income so i mean it's happening all of this is happening everything that that letter laid out has happened and it happened when the letter said it was going to happen it's i'm i was not a believer when I first saw it, I am becoming more of a believer now. It, it's really quite scary. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And actually, why don't we just get right into talking about that? Uh, the Liberals and NDP held their policy conventions this past weekend. And the, we'll go through some highlights. And let's, let's start with that. The, one of the Liberal policies that survived the convention is... The Liberal Party of, or Liberal Party of Canada, sorry, supports a universal basic income for Canadians. Yeah, and you know what's really scary is that in the 
policy book that they released uh, with the policy sheets. Um, the thing that they said in the description of the UBI says, with the with the massive success of Serb. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> and and I'm like the massive success. Why was Serb a success? Like how? Who in their right mind would use the word success in describing Serb? Serb was a temporary emergency measure that was required to get people through a pandemic that we knew we didn't know what it was bringing, and we had and we had to shut down industry across Canada until we knew what we were dealing with. Unfortunately, now that we know what we're dealing with. The governments are still treating it as if we don't know what we're dealing with. Um, the Serb was not a success. It was it was a, a, a temporary emergency measure that was needed, and it did its job. Yet they keep it hanging around, and the problem with that is that I know dozens of small business owners. And not, none of us, I'm one of them, none of us can find employees because they're still paying people to stay home. And I live in a province that has not been closed since July of last year. Every business is open right now, every single one. Even though we have some new uh, uh, restaurant measures, uh, like you're not allowed to dine in inside in a restaurant, which, by the way, is BS because it's like two and a half percent of, of COVID transmissions happening in, in a restaurant. Um, they have been close to indoor dining, but most can be most of restaurants where I live are all they all have most have patios, so they've got those open. Which, by the way, the patios have enclosed tents <laughs> because, because it's still not warm enough to be eating outside at night. But Makes sense. they've got tents with walls on the <laughs> patios. Like they're allowed to eat in those, but they're not allowed to eat indoors. Right. It's, but you're indoors in those tents. Jeez. So now this is a province that has been open since July, and we're still paying people to stay home. And that program goes to the end of May. But I am predicting right now that will be extended again until the end of July like they're going to extend it by two months I'm predicting that right now and it's going to screw over all the small businesses again yeah, in, 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 sorry in, the, in that description of the universal basic income they also say it gives lower income people the ability to reject uh, job offers with exploitative uh, salaries. Oh, jeez. I'm sorry, but every province in this goddamn country has a very close to or at least $15 an hour minimum wage. That uh, $15 an hour minimum wage is not exploitative. So you no. can kiss my, you know what, over this because that there are no such things as exploitative wages in this country. There isn't because it's illegal to have anything less than, a, in most provinces, less than fifteen dollars an hour. So you can that is BS. I'm sorry for the imagery that I created there a couple of seconds ago, but. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, you can kiss it. If if you think fifteen dollars an hour is uh, exploitative, then you're in, you're a moron. No, well said. And uh, it's amazing they would call the Serb a success when I pointed out in the previous show just an initial review, not even an audit, discovered thirty thousand fraudulent cases of people collecting the Serb. And as I say, that was a review. They do a full audit. I mean, we all know at least 
or if we don't know directly, we know of somebody who was working but chose to take the third on because it was free money being handed out. And Justin Trudeau himself even said well, it was more important to get the money out than to be concerned about who was taking it. So there's no such thing as massively successful and serve in the same sentence. No, absolutely not. And, and I mean, this, this is, the problem is, is that they're going to kill small business with this. Oh, they totally are. And then, uh, then they'll use that as an excuse for the, for the UBI. Now I don't, I didn't read a number for the UBI, what they were planning on making that basic income. But if it's going to be the same level as the CERB, then obviously people are going to continue to stay home and say, yeah, I'll take the summer off and get the, the UBI. Thanks very much. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, along with this UBI, they're also talking about a pharmacare program across the country. They certainly are. And... I had railed about this one a number of months ago because even Bill Morneau had pointed out when he was finance minister, only about 20% of Canadians aren't currently covered by a benefit plan through their union or through their workplace or through their, their parents' plans or, or whatever. So we're dealing with a very small number of Canadians. And the wording with their, the PharmaCare plan was to Increased access and decreased drug costs. Now, that latter one really bothers me because already there was a dispute with Pfizer because of this very thing. The Canadian government was talking about regulating pharmaceutical companies and capping the rates that they were allowed to charge. Well, that's the only way you're going to bring down drug costs. So you think we have a lack of pharmaceutical manufacturing in Canada now? Just wait till they, they cap the, the amount of... Uh, margins that these companies are allowed to charge they'll never show up yeah, here yeah well see they already do that like they do the, yeah the, the drug like this is something canadians don't know is that the drugs that are available in canada the prices have all been negotiated by the federal government with the drug companies so they already control how much the uh, drug companies get to charge for their drugs in Canada. This is nothing new. But the problem is that there are drugs available in the U.S. that we don't get here because the Canadian government refuses to pay the prices that the drug, that the pharmaceutical companies are, are, are requiring to be able to pay for the R&B. The that's why you will see uh, often, like you, you've, you've heard of it happening a lot, where Canadian patients who have a, who have a disease that uh, can only be treated by one or two drugs, and those drugs are not even available in Canada. So Health Canada will actually, or not Health Canada, but the the, the, the health authority in the respective province will send that patient to the U.S. for treatment. Yep, absolutely right. And that's just going to get worse. And believe it or not, Canada, that actually costs our healthcare system more to send patients out of country than it would just to take care of them here. And that should actually be a no-brainer to people. But just for the liberals listening, you're spending more to send patients to that what you call substandard U.S. healthcare system than if you would just approve the drugs and actually allow them to be available here. Yeah, and honestly, I I, I actually think that twenty percent number is probably high because I remember reading oh a year or two ago where they said that it was less than 10% of Canadians that don't have drug coverage, whether it's through um, work or whether it's through uh, like, a, like an extended health plan or whether it's uh, because they get covered because you're low income. Uh, yeah, I think that's where I was thinking there would make up more like I was, because yeah, when Bill Morneau said 20% are not covered by an outside plan, I did actually think of that because people who are low income and have like social assistance, for example, 
they do have drug coverage through the through the government plan. So you're probably yeah. right to say it's less than ten. Yeah, and honestly, it's it's. Uh, I, I mean, and the people who don't have drug coverage are not low income because low income Canadians get their drugs covered. So, why is this a problem? I mean, extended health care benefits, insurance companies are paying for drugs for the most part in Canada. The overwhelming majority of the drugs in Canada are being paid by insurance companies. So why does the government feel it necessary to add this to the tax to, to taxpayers' uh, uh, tax bills? Oh, absolutely right. So uh, I mean, we're getting close on time. It, so, it really irritates me. I can I can I can go a few minutes past. I, okay, cool. It really irritates me that that government thinks that because something is successfully happening in the private sector that they have to just take it over. Because how dare the private sector be successful at doing something? Yeah, so let's bring the government in and allow them to ruin it. Yeah. Yeah, it makes real sense. Yeah. So, okay, so let's move on to our friends in the NDP. Because you are going to love this one, Lewis, because you just railed about these punitive, exploitative wages. Yeah. The NDP has come to your rescue because the NDP decided... All this talk about a $15 an hour minimum wage, hold my beer. They passed a resolution to implement a $20 an hour minimum wage. Oh, Isn't wow. that going to be great for business? Yeah, wow. That's crazy. Who who would possibly hire somebody for a minimum wage of $20 an hour? Like, I, Maybe because I'm old school, maybe because I... I'm just such a firm believer in capitalism. I believe the minimum wage is zero when you have no job. And I mean, a $20 minimal minimum wage is going to mean there's a lot more people that will make zero. Yep. And you, you want to know why grocery stores put in self checkout counters. It's not because, uh, it's not because they hate employees. It's because those are cheaper than employees. Because Absolutely. It, because ever since governments have put in $15 an hour minimum wages, the uh, those, those businesses are like, oh, you know what? Forget this. Forget people calling in sick and all of this and still having to pay them $15 an hour. And... You know, I let's just get these self checkout counters. Uh, McDonald's has replaced most of their front counter staff with touch screen ordering. Um, I mean, and then everybody complains about it. Well, come on, guys! If you don't want those people to lose their jobs, stop pushing for higher minimum wages. Like, I mean, let's be real: ninety percent. I believe it's 90%. It might even be higher. But at least 90% of minimum wage earners in this country are students or seniors who have retired and just have a part-time job. Yeah, that's I, over, I believe that. That's, that's over 90% of minimum wage earners. What 15-year-old is worth $20 an hour. Well, that's just it. And and you have to ask yourself, I realize that people are going to gonna throw some hate my way for this, but you have to ask yourself if some of these jobs justify those kind of wages. I mean, the person working the front counter at McDonald's, I'm not going to say it's not stressful when the restaurant is busy, but is that a $20 an hour job? Um, when you've got a skilled carpenter who's making say $35 an hour after suffering through four years of apprenticeship, going to school for, for eight weeks a year in between their apprenticeship years to be making, you know, not a hell of a lot more than that $20 an hour. Like you're artificially going to inflate wages in other sectors in order to make up for the fact that people who were making well above minimum wage suddenly were making 
barely minimum wage or perhaps even below what the new minimum wage is. It's a great way to destroy an economy. Well, yeah, and a great way to destroy um, ambition because there's just no, there's no reason for someone to, you know, improve their skill set or improve their work ethic or improve their attitude because, eh, you know what, the government's just going to make sure I get a raise every year. And, I mean, like, let's get real here. If you don't want a minimum wage job for your whole life, then work harder. Develop the skills needed to get uh, a promotion or to get a better job. And, but, but here's the thing. Our left-wing politicians and our uh, left-wing voting base believe that people aren't capable and that we should never expect have expectations of people that we should just you know it's the highest form of arrogance to believe that people aren't capable that people aren't don't have the ability to work hard and to scrape by and and bust their backside and then make a success of themselves. There's a real attitude out there that people aren't capable of this. And and the worst are these middle class or upper middle class white people believing this about minorities. Yeah, that's a good point because, I mean, when they start talking about who's oppressed, they always say, oh, now the term is, of course, racialized Canadians. Um, and you're right. I mean, the people who are standing up on behalf of these these poor, oppressed peoples always seem to be upper class white liberals who have no idea what it's like to struggle. So it's uh, really hypocritical, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I also find it funny that it's people... Who, who have actually worked their butts off their whole life, started with nothing, made a success of themselves, and then say, nobody else is capable of doing this. Only I could do this. Well, I mean, it, it's funny you say that, because I remember a few months ago, I met a, a fellow who had moved here from Pakistan. And when he arrived here, the government essentially said, go over here for English lessons and good luck to you after that. So he ended up having to find a job all on his own and he's done very well for himself. He was the furniture salesman and he's just kind of continued to improve himself. And he's the ultimate success story. Love the guy. You know, he's done very well. He's got his own business now, but he was saying to me, this was during the provincial election campaign said, you know, there's, there's gotta be some way to help us to succeed. And I thought, boy, if the NDP candidate heard you say that, they would probably have a coronary. <laughs> most of most of the hardest workers I've ever known are immigrants. Yeah, true. And some of the most rags, some of the most of the rags to riches stories that I've I've seen are from immigrants. They come here with nothing and they make a success of themselves because they worked hard. They put their head down and they busted their butts. And but the left believes that nobody should even have to do that or that they're not capable of doing that. So we should just give them all kinds of free crap. That we need to take care of them. Yeah, yeah, we need to take care of them. Well, no. How about you let people fend for themselves? Like, I would love that. But no, apparently people aren't capable of that. God forbid we had that attitude 200 years ago. Or, I mean, the people people came to this continent not knowing what they were coming to because there was no such thing as photographs. Yeah, so, they came for a new start. So. Yeah, they came here on boats, many of which died on the trip because they needed to do better for their family. And they were coming to this land of opportunity. And today... There's still people coming here because it's a land of opportunity. But God forbid Canadians 
work hard or move out of their parents' house or, you know, have to start with nothing. I mean, God, we all started with nothing. Yep, absolutely right. And through hard work and determination and, you know, sacrifice and everything we i've i've made a success of myself my my wife has made a success of herself and really we both started with nothing you did the same i mean everybody starts with nothing you move out of the house you move out of your mom and dad's house and you rent the cheapest basement suite or apartment you can find because that's all you can afford and you save and you do everything you can and you buy that first crappy little house and you and then you sell that and move up and you sell that and you move up everybody you got to do it you, people people are you know you don't you don't just get out of school and buy a million dollar house like it just doesn't work that way but people think that that's the way it's supposed to be and it's not like you gotta start with nothing. Work your way up. Everybody did it. Yeah, that's right. Nobody understands what the uh, the feeling of accomplishment. They get out of school and they think they deserve the eighty thousand dollar a year job right out of school. Yeah, exactly. Everybody thinks that, that they like. I I have relatives who thought that when they graduated, that they would just step right into a managerial position. And I'm like, you don't even know anything. All you know is what they taught you from a book in school. And when you get into the real world, not much of that is applicable. No, exactly. So, and so I mean, you've got to start at the bottom, just like everybody else. Yes, so exactly right. The, N- the NDP can take their communist manifesto and shove it where you know where. 100%. And you know what? That right there is a really good way to end the show. The NDP can stuff their communist manifesto. I like it. All right. <laughs> All right, Canada. We're going to leave you there. Sorry we went over our time just a little bit, but uh, it's great to have Lewis back for another show. So um, until next week, it is Tony here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis in BC. Good night.